Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey there, it's Sasha Koka. And I'm away this week on a much-needed spring break vacation. So we're rerunning one of our favorite episodes, A Hidden Gems Show, where we take you to out-of-the-way secret spots on a California road trip. You might get some vacation ideas, too. Enjoy. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. I am jumping across a stream onto some wooden planks to walk through this incredible canyon. Sheer walls on either side of me that are covered with ancient ferns. In the bottom of this canyon, there's a roaring creek and you have to kind of make your way through the creek across these planks and logs to get to the back of this spectacular canyon called Fern Canyon here in Humboldt County. This is one of California's magnificent hidden gems. Every year on our show, we dedicate an episode to taking you to some of our favorite secret spots, places most tourists don't always know about. Today, we're gonna take you to visit some of those spots across the state from Joshua Tree to here in Humboldt County, where I'm standing in Fern Canyon. Oh my God, it's like a cathedral of ferns. With these waterfalls cascading down the cliffs. Incredible. Look, Mom. What are you doing? Floating a little fern boat down the creek? Some of these ferns are as old as the dinosaurs or older. 325 million years old. Doesn't this look like a place where dinosaurs could roam? Yes. So that means these ferns are like from the beginning of time? Well, not the beginning of time, but definitely before humans. This is definitely why Steven Spielberg chose to film part of Jurassic Park here. It's seriously like going to Jurassic Park. It's what it feels like. It's pretty crazy. I think it's like you've been 
transported to another world. It is so magical and so lush and green. It totally refuels your spirit. I love it. What are your names? Molly McEckern. And Cody McEckern. And um, where are you guys from in Utah? Tooele. It's like 40 miles west of Salt Lake. Well, I'm coming from Utah. I mean, people from our state go to your state because we want to see rocks. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. The fact that we are in the same state right now that also has the Mojave Desert mm -hmm. and Joshua Tree, it's kind of mind-blowing that this is one state. Two days ago, we were down in Southern California. So you're seeing the beaches and the sand and SeaWorld and then to go north and see stuff like this. I was I grew up in Montana, and to come from a place that's known for its lush green and then to come to here and say, I've never seen anything so beautiful. It says something. Okay, I'm gonna try to make it across these logs. Be careful, it's slippery. You're gonna eat it. God, I hope I don't eat it. I already got my shoe wet. Note to self, next time bring water shoes. Next up, we're gonna head to Joshua Tree. When people talk about the sun-scorched desert, they often use words like striking or spectacular, but local beauty isn't confined to the national park. Hello, welcome to the beauty bubble, you guys. There's an oasis of style in this small desert community, and as reporter Peter Gilstrap found out, it's part salon, part museum, and all roadside attraction. Outside on Highway 62, the temperature is well into three digits. But inside the Beauty Bubble Salon and Museum, it's a cool and constant 69 degrees, with a strong chance of time warp. You're welcome to walk through the museum. It's my life's work. It's 30 years of collecting everything back there. They call me America's hair historian now. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to do it. Since 2004, Jeff Hafler has been the owner-operator of the Beauty Bubble, currently housed in a 1940s one-bedroom bungalow turned storefront. Floor to ceiling, wall to wall, the place is crammed with some 3,000 beauty care artifacts going back over 100 years. You'll see vintage advertisements, framed magazine covers, and a rack of unopened hairnets from the 20s and 30s with names like Bonton, Jackonet, and Pretty Miss. You'll see Elvis and Dolly Parton looking down at you from black velvet, and you'll see aging mechanical beauty devices that look like instruments of torture. In the back room, on a deco dresser, there's a matching set of pink mirrors, brushes, and jars with a note that says, Marion's dresser set from the 40s, found in mom's attic donated by her daughter. And almost the entire time I've been collecting, people have been donating these random beauty things to the collection, like rollers and clips and barrettes. Someone threw a bag of rollers in the front door and said, here's grandma's rollers, we didn't want to throw them away. Do you ever turn anything down that's donated? No, that's part of the problem. No. <laughs> but that is what makes the place so unique. Included with your modern day cuts, colors and curls, comes the sensory engulfing overkill of it all, taking you on a journey to a bygone era of luxurious beauty care. One of the most common comments is that it reminds people of their mother or their grandmother. And I love that because I was close with my grandmother. I like old ladies' trinkets. <laughs> so what brings you to the beauty bubble? 
everything brings me to the beauty bubble. <laughs> Heather Morgan is sitting in a salon chair wearing a big smile and a platinum blonde pixie cut crafted by Hafler. She's been a regular at the bubble since she relocated from L.A. back in 2017. But her big city hair fits right in with the high desert aesthetic. There's a lot of people in the desert who go out and rock their L.A. style. I thought I would have to like stop going platinum or become some old desert rag, but <laughs> Jeff is out here paving the way for style. Hafler grew up in Pickerington, Ohio, just outside of Columbus, where he went to beauty school. Back then, he fell in love with a 1940s hairdryer. It sparked an interest in the vintage tools of his newfound trade. For that first year, I was just collecting and decorating my bathroom with it. And I thought, well, this is fascinating history. And this is beautiful, interesting stuff. So I was 20 years old, and I said, I'm going to make a roadside attraction beauty parlor museum. And so here I am 29 years later, and I'm living that dream. 17 years ago, Hafler and his husband, jewelry designer Michael Wynn, bought a home in Wonder Valley, a dot on the desert map 30 miles east of Joshua Tree. It's an unincorporated land of rough dirt roads and endless horizons. And it's such a rural part of San Bernardino County, home salons were and are still legal. And who was coming out? Were you, I mean, you, was it local I had people, like Marines? the high society of the high desert, is what I called them. Those early clients have stayed loyal. But here in Joshua Tree, where Hafler moved his salon in 2015, a steady stream of tourists and locals and first-timers wander in to gawk at the display. Pasha Simpson and Cordelia Reynolds are making their way through Hafler's beloved trove of old lady trinkets. This is the first time you guys have been here. Yeah, and it's really awesome. You just walk into this little wonderland. I love places that have so much history and like have taken such care to collect amazing stuff. Like Heather Morgan, Reynolds is another former Angelino. She and her boyfriend live a sustainable lifestyle off the grid in the nearby community of Landers. So if you're off grid, how do you maintain your beauty standards? I mean, it's a struggle. I should come here and get my hair washed because I haven't had hot water in two years. You don't have to travel to the desert to see Hafler's collection. He had a recent show at the SFO Museum in San Francisco's airport featuring vintage beauty items and the sculptures he creates from discarded hair care ephemera. But that's not all. You know, I dream about building a geodesic dome and making it look like a giant hair dryer. The beauty museum would be housed in the world's largest hair dryer. It just has to happen. Like the miles of hair that got him here, Hafler's dream in the desert never stops growing. For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap in Joshua Tree. If you've lived in California for long enough, you've probably seen one of those iconic yellow bumper stickers that say, Mystery Spot. But do you actually know what the 81-year-old roadside attraction called the Mystery Spot is all about? The California Report's Amanda Font took a friend to the Redwood Forest in the Santa Cruz Mountains to check it out. So here we are at the mystery spot. <laughs> uh, this is my friend and colleague, Chloe Morizono. She's here with me as my sort of chief experiencer since I've been here so many times before. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Prepare to be amazed. <laughs> I've been to the mystery spot seven times in the last decade. I love bringing friends. 
And despite multiple visits and Googling how it works, I'm still kind of baffled about what's going on here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mystery Spot. How's everybody doing? Our tour group of about 30 people meets at the bottom of a hill that marks the edge of the spot. Stella is our guide today. In 1939, a man named George Prather bought this land from a lumber company. But Prather noticed pretty quickly that something was weird. So the first thing that Mr. Prather realized was that this hillside right here is much more difficult to climb up than it should be. He reported feeling dizzy and disoriented in an area on the hill about 150 feet in diameter. Prather also claimed his compass would point in the wrong direction when he was on the hill. That isn't part of today's demonstrations, but other quirks of the hillside are. Stella lays some boards on the ground. So now this is a totally flat and level surface. Do you guys trust me? Yes. Okay, no. What? Do not trust someone you met three minutes ago. That's like rule number one. I can prove it though. She puts down a level and, yep, the bubble is right in the middle, totally level. Could I borrow you two? A couple of kids volunteer. All right, you sir, you're gonna stand right over here. Okay, you guys are going to stand on the boards facing each other. Exactly. The kid on the right end of the boards is taller by about four inches. Go ahead and switch places. Oh my god. <laughs> Suddenly, they're the same height. You guys see that difference, right? <laughs> like, it's not just me. Could it be the mystery spot? Now we trudge up the steep hill. Are you feeling mysterious yet? It does feel mysterious. That... That little switcheroo definitely got me. (laughs) We meet at the top in front of a very crooked cabin. It's a small wooden structure with two rooms and a couple paneless windows. It's leaning sharply downhill, and we're all leaning uphill. Just looking at it makes you dizzy. Standing inside it is very disorienting. You can't see much through the windows, and we're leaning at a 17-degree angle, which appears even greater with the lean of the cabin. We're practically diagonal. (laughs) It's hard to walk. (laughs) It looks like we're about to fall over. Oh my god, this is wild. Oh no! And then someone does. But don't worry, she's totally fine. The thing that most bewilders Chloe and me is the pendulum. In one room, a large lead weight is attached to a cable so it can swing freely. Like it's hanging downwards because that's the way that gravity pulls it, right? But when we swing it, it flies way over in one direction and only about half as far in the other direction. Okay. I was like, oh, I'm going I'm going to understand what's going on right away. It's all just gravity, but pretty mysterious, eh? Pretty mysterious. The mystery spot sits on what's called a gravity hill. The idea is that an obstructed view of the horizon line throws off people's perception. Yeah, maybe, but can you fool gravity? Stella runs through the mystery spot's official theories. Maybe a UFO crashed into the hillside long ago and it's still buried there. Maybe there's a swirling pool of magma creating a magnetic anomaly. Or maybe we've been inhaling toxic fumes. And over the last 45 minutes, you have all been experiencing a mass group hallucination. Enjoy your stay in Santa Cruz. The truth remains a mystery. I know you all came here for our world-famous bumper sticker! 
So does Chloe now share my love of the mystery spot? Definitely. It's worth the $8. For the California Report, I'm Amanda Font in Santa Cruz. What are you going to do with your bumper sticker? I don't know. I don't have a car. (laughs) Next stop, a tiny treat shop in San Jose's Japantown. The Shuedo Manju was established back in 1953. And the mochi made here by hand is so soft and so pillowy, one Instagram follower describes it as baby cheeks. So naturally, KQED's Rachel Myro volunteered to sample all the flavors. To be honest, Shuedo is no hidden gem. The word has been out for almost 70 years now, and there's almost always a line at this little shop on Jackson Street, the main drag in San Jose's Japantown. Jean Takahashi from the Takahashi Market in San Mateo, another hidden gem, by the way, drives down twice a week to pick up 40 pieces of mochi on Thursdays, 80 to 90 on Saturdays. I have a legion of addicts that come shopping at my store looking for this. If Takahashi miscalculates demand and the treats don't sell out, he'll be unable to resist eating what's left, especially the kanako. That's the mochi filled with white lima bean paste covered on the outside with soybean flour. Well, there's a trick to eating it. You have to make sure and take a breath first before you bite it so you don't inhale and (laughs) sneeze and get a brown powder in the air. Japanese tea time sweets are called wagashi, and there are hundreds of varieties. The owners here specialize in mochi. Those are the sweets made with glutinous rice pounded into a paste and steamed, then molded into something the size of a golf ball, filled with white lima or red azuki bean paste, and lightly dusted so they don't stick to your hand. Also, you've got to try their chichidango, made with rice flour and cut into squares. On the day I visited, wobbly pink strawberry chichidango was the featured special. But back in the kitchen, Tom and Judy Kumamaru were making mm, the peanut butter mochi. It's just pillowy goodness. Mm. <laughs> That's what I love. I love it when someone bites into it and they just go, oh, they like it, you know? Their kitchen is tiny and packed with ancient copper kettles, giant steaming baskets, a baker's oven, and a simple wooden table for assembly. The two of them move with steady, practiced ease, pinching off the mochi paste, pressing with fingers to make a space for the filling, spoon a little in, and close the confection. So everything's handmade, so it just goes by feel. Tom and Judy didn't start out in sweets. She was a dental technician. He worked for an electronics company. It so happens Judy's parents were pals with the original husband and wife team that launched Chue Do Manju Shop in 1953. So when they were ready to retire in the late 1980s, Judy's parents asked, Oh, if none of your kids want it, let me know if you want to sell. And lined up a transfer of ownership. There are machines now that can churn out thousands of mochi in an hour. But in a world where many are prettier to look at than tasty to eat, it matters to the Kumamaros that their preservative-free, country-style mochi tastes the way they like it. Soft, fresh, not too sweet. Sometimes we have people buying and they open the box outside and they put the whole thing in their mouth. They'll eat like three, four of them. 
Somehow, 34 years have passed since Tom and Judy started. The original owners, the Ozawas, lasted 35. So are the Kumamaro kids going to take over? It's hard for just one to take over. You would need a few people in order to get all this done. So it's still up in the air. They're still not safe. <laughs> Don't wait to pay a visit. There are no wrong choices, but I recommend the peanut butter. Call ahead and make sure it hasn't sold out. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in San Jose. And now we're going to head to the Central Valley to a tiny spot on the map known as Goshen. It's off Highway 99. It's about halfway between Fresno and Bakersfield. And it's mostly known for the trains coming in and out of its ethanol plant. But among the warehouses and farm supply stores, there's a jewel of a joint whose popularity goes well beyond this tiny community. Alice Daniel of KVPR takes us to Lady Chicken and Rice. The food truck sits in the parking lot of a supply store that sells plastic dinosaurs, stuffed animals, and novelty items for vending machines. Lady Chicken and Rice is hand-painted in red letters on the front of the truck. Lady Chicken is named for the woman who created the deep-fried Lao chicken recipe that's so popular here. I call her Lady. She's my lady. <laughs> That's Boon Tong Sang talking about his wife, Boon Luck. He didn't give her the nickname, though. Fame did. Well, fame among the locals here in Goshen. They don't know her name. They call, oh, that's Lady Chicken, that Lady Chicken. After we make business. <laughs> a business that serves as many as 500 customers a day. Lines form by 10 a.m. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Right, thank you. Have a good day. Boontong says he's met travelers from as far away as Virginia and Texas who find rave reviews on Yelp or other food apps. But there are also plenty of regulars who greet him. They know him as Jimmy. Later, Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> like Tony Solis, a UPS driver who's waving while picking up a bag of egg rolls in one hand and an iced coffee in the other. Great food, good price, friendly people. Awesome. The friendly people include Boon Tong's employees, whom he calls family, even though they're from Mexico and he's from Laos. Ramona Villa says they stay busy all day until 5 p.m. We never stop cooking until it's time to go home. She's inside the truck prepping the $3 plates of golden brown chicken and sticky rice. She's got a large, colorful tattoo just below her neck, that says Robert. My husband. Robert, Lady Chicken. Love is written all around here. Ramona has filled little plastic containers of homemade green jalapeno sauce and is dumping them into a bin so they can easily be sent out to customers. Speaking of love, people return just for the sauce, she says. Everybody always comes back over and over, and that's the first thing that we say is the chili. Marbella Sotelo takes orders at the truck. Un pollo con arroz, una spring rolls, y gracias. The marinated chicken is twice fried, the second time at a higher temperature to make it extra crispy, Marbella says. They got something, the chicken, they, you know, it's, it's a good flavor. And the way that he cooked is, you know, crispy and, you know, soft inside, so it's, it's really good. Fresh spring rolls are also on the menu. 
egg rolls too. That's why Erendira Aranzasu comes here. More often than I should. <laughs> very, very good food. You can taste the authenticity of it. And my favorite are the egg rolls. Egg rolls by far are the best in town, for sure. Hands down. <laughs> two chicken and rice, two legs, and four sauces. Two extra chicken? Yes. Can I have two legs, please? A few other customers in line share why they're here. It's close by, the food is good, and the ladies are friendly. The authenticity of it, it's not like anything else. Can't really get this anywhere else other than here. Boontong knows he's got a good thing going here. Regulars he greets daily, people who come from far away to enjoy the food, employees he views as family, and a popular chicken recipe created by the woman he loves. Or maybe I say, hey, uh, lady, you know, I, I loved you. Something like that. Every day, we have to. For the California Report, I'm Alice Daniel in Goshen. And now for the final stop on our California Hidden Gems Tour, we're going to head to MacArthur Bernie Falls Memorial State Park. It's in Shasta County, and it's the second oldest state park here in California. And while the waterfall there might not be the biggest in our state, the California Report's intern, Hector Arzate, thinks it might be the most beautiful. I'm surrounded by pine and fir trees, and you can just barely hear the waterfalls in the distance. You can already hear it. You can see it. I'm here with my wife, Michelle, my mother-in-law, Katrina, and the rest of our family. We're taking the trail loop to get down to Bernie Falls. Slightly over a quarter mile, it's a paved walk, followed by multiple stairs to the base of the falls. Usually it's just white noise is all you're going to get. Back. That's Marlon Sloan. I'm the interpretive specialist here at the park. Basically that means I get to do all the fun stuff. I also grew up in this area, so it's my pleasure to introduce people to how beautiful northeastern California is. It's truly a singularly unique and beautiful place. Marlon says the falls are 129 feet high and they never stop or slow down. That's because there's a constant flow of millions of gallons of water every day, even during a drought like this year. I, I think it's gorgeous. That's my mother-in-law, Katrina. And I love the blueness of the water. The base of the waterfall is a deep blue pool. It's almost sapphire. And if you catch the light just right, the water droplets in the air create a rainbow. It's about 90 degrees today, but next to the falls, it really doesn't feel like it. It's so nice. It's very hot everywhere, and it's very cool here. It's like a refrigerator. That's Leah, who's visiting from Sonoma County with her friend, Aiden. We saw an otter playing on the falls, uh, was it yesterday, day before? That was really cool. This big otter swimming around, jumping up and down on the moss. The water looks so refreshing. And it may be tempting to go for a swim around the base of the falls, but it's not allowed. It can be dangerous, and it's meant to protect some of the species living there. Marlon explains. So there are animals living in the canyon that can't live anywhere else, as well as benefiting from that terrific ecology that we're getting from all these different rock and uh, geologies, too. So there's a lot of wildlife here. Including mule deer, porcupines, trout, and pileated woodpeckers. We're on the bird uh, migratory route, so there's about 260 different birds you can see in the park. We've got bald eagles down at the lake, osprey flying overhead, the black swifts, a certain colony migrate in from the main colony from the coast to nest behind the falls. We have some great wildlife here, uh, both plants and animals. 
Marlon says people from all over California and beyond have taken notice of the park in recent years. He thinks it's because of the pandemic and people wanting to get outdoors. But Sharice from Sacramento says Bernie Falls is simply a must-see. Well, it's my birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday. Thank you. So um, what a better way than to uh, chase waterfalls for my birthday. So this is one of my bucket list items that I can check off now. Wow. Can you sing the song? Don't go chasing waterfalls. Listen to the streams and the rivers that they used to. I don't know. Something like that. That's good. But TLC, I guess. It's rumored that Theodore Roosevelt once called Bernie Falls the eighth wonder of the world. But don't take my or Teddy's word for it. You'll have to see it yourself. For the California Report, I'm Hector Arzate. And that's it for our Hidden Gems show. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our producer, director, and Hidden Gems queen is Susie Racho. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer, and our team also includes Amanda Font and Izzy Bloom. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.